You're listening to highlights of One Planet Podcasts interview with Matis Wagernackel, founder of the Global Footprint Network. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. In the beginning, we just thought, oh, why don't people just measure how many planets we have compared to how many we use? And once they see the number, it would be very obvious to them. We were the first to start to, and still are, I think, the main accounting approach to compare directly how big human activities are compared to what the planet can renew. So it started perhaps as, I would say, in reaction to the Brundtland report, which brought sustainable development to the global stage and had a very complicated definition of sustainable development. So kind of saying, yeah, as a minimal condition to be able to persist, we cannot use forever more than what we get back from nature, what nature can renew. So shooting for one planet just means you would be totally dominant, leave no space for other species. Ecologists say to maintain 85% of kind of pre-industrial biodiversity, it would take about at least half the planet left on its own. That would mean getting to half planet. And now we use at least 1.75, I say at least because our assessments with about 15,000 data points per country and year are based on UN statistics. And they're Demand side is probably an underestimate because not all demands are included. And also on the supply side or the regeneration side, the UN is very production oriented. So the FAO numbers, for example, they look at agriculture production and the depletion side or the destruction side is not factored in adequately. So that's why it's an underestimate. And still it shows we use about 1.75 Earth and that's more than three times half an Earth. So that's kind of the difference. But we also know overshoot will end one way or another. You know, so it's not, the question is, do we choose to end it? Do we choose it by design or do we let nature take the lead and end overshoot by disaster? So it's really like ending overshoot by design or disaster. That's the big choice we need to make. We come to a conclusion that we use currently earth regenerative capacity, 75% faster than can renew, or that's like using 1.75 earth. Or to translate that in time, you can say, if we look at an annual budget, how much is being renewed in a year and how quickly are we using up that budget from January 1st to July 28th this year, do we use as much as Earth can renew in the entire year? Even though that's the big theme, climate change is just one piece of it. Biodiversity loss is one piece of it. So overshoot is the big theme. That's just to measure where we're at. And that the main point is just to recognize if that's the context we live in, what are the opportunities? The opportunity is to prepare yourself for the inevitable future. And there's so many opportunities to move out overshoot day or to reduce overshoot by design or disaster that are economically viable. In fact, if you look at companies, you say what companies are more likely to be valuable in the future, it's those that if they expand, global overshoot goes down. If you have a windmill company, it takes energy to produce windmills. But if these windmills displace coal power, then as they expand, overshoot goes down, as an example. Now, that's how we have started to collect and say there's a lot of possibilities because they're essentially, if you look at your hand, there are five fingers on most hands, and then they represent the big areas of transformation. On the sum represents how much Earth can renew. And then the four areas of demand, they overlap slightly, but the big ones are how do we organize our cities or the way we live, like our habitats, the human habitats, the way they are designed determines consumption, obviously, mobility, uh, efficiency of housing, etc. How do we power them? The third one is how do we feed ourselves currently? About 55% of the biocapacity of the planet today is already occupied for our food production. And we are just, just about to turn 8 billion people 
And then the last one is how many are we, if we had double as many, that's half as much capacity per person. Now in 2100, how many people would we be? Depends on choices today, obviously. So that's going to be a time when most likely, hopefully, we will not use any fossil fuels anymore, but fossil fuels also enables more ease in food production and food conservation and transport, etc. One thing that I find most interesting right now is we are starting to engage more with businesses because businesses are very diverse. Some are very aligned with the future we need. Some are not so aligned, you know, so it's very different, but it goes back to what I said before. It's very simple. Which businesses are actually helpful for the transformation that we are envisioned? And it's those that, as I said, as they expand, overshoot goes down. And there are quite a few of them. So big businesses could have a big impact. I think it's also indirectly. I think what we see is so many governments are afraid of this transformation because they think it's going to ruin their economy. While actually it's the other way around. If they don't get ready for this new context, their economies will be ruined. It's just not understood that way. But I think if they can see more businesses, winning businesses kind of taking a new route, they will be more encouraged to, or more, they find the courage to take that on more fully. I think actually it's not that complex. Complexity is a racket for not wanting to act. Their whole institutions try to generate complexity. Everybody can be calm and maintain business as usual. It's not so complex because in the end, there's just one planet Earth we live on. It's hard to get to Mars. And so how can we thrive within that planetary constraint? So I think the first thing is to say, this whole conundrum we live in is not your burden. We personify Earth or the, the world, the world and I. So it's, it's not that complex in the sense. Of, so we often personify the Earth and say, me and the Earth and me and the planet. And I'm trying to help the world and the world doesn't help me, whatever. And so, but actually the world is so big. Even if you are a big country like the United States or China, it's still, you're still one little piece of a much bigger word. So it's more helpful rather than saying, this is my burden to recognize the conundrums you are in as your context. That's just your game board. You're on that game board. And the question is, what's helpful? The second point is, what is helpful is solutions that are replicable, physically replicable, are good for you because you're much more likely to succeed with them because you're not running into competition. And it also helps others more than you want others to also take on these solutions because they're replicable and not in competition with you. So that's kind of the true meaning of win-win solutions. Solutions that are replicable are more stable. In my way of talking, I try to move away from the word responsibility because people don't come towards me and say, thank you so much for giving me responsibility. <laughs> Rather, they avoid me at parties. And so how do we talk about it? So I like more that the metaphor of brushing your teeth, you know, brushing your teeth is not so much an imposition. You must brush your teeth. Otherwise you're a really bad person. You know? No, you just brush your teeth because you want to have healthy teeth. It's not a capitalist plot either. They say, oh, you're such a capitalist protecting the capital in your jaw, you know? <laughs> no, we want to have healthy teeth. So it's, it's just something that is protecting your teeth is necessary. Make an effort today to protect the health of your tooth tomorrow, you know? And that's kind of a, a similar approach. So uh, the same principles that apply to a country or a city also apply to an individual. I mean, an individual could be an investor or kind of have a pension fund. I don't know. And so there is the question, is my investment going to be more valuable in the future or not? Probably more likely to be valuable if it is aligned with what the future will look like. Or are you making decisions about where to live? Like if you make yourself dependent on cars, then every time gasoline prices go up, then you get more exposed. If you can live with fewer resources, then you feel more safe. So we are talking more about resource security rather than reducing your demand, which is the same thing. 
but it comes with a twist. If we talk about, you got to reduce your demand, it generates resentment in society. Because if I put an effort into showering less, and you know, and, or showering cold water, what it may be, or whatever, you know, not going somewhere, and I see my neighbor still doing it, I feel resentful about the neighbor. So it, it generates resentfulness in society because you think, I gave myself up for humanity and you didn't, and it's unfair, you know. But if you think from a perspective of resource security and, and you learn how to live, not depending on that many resources, you feel safe for yourself. And if your neighbor is not able to do it and still depends on a lot of resources, you can feel empathy for the neighbor. Oh my God, my neighbor's really exposed. And so it's so by empathy, it's kind of a more stable mechanism. I think we have to find ways to build empathy for saying, wow, it's really about preparing ourselves. Like with COVID, you know, with COVID, if you protect yourself, that's good for society as well. And so that's kind of a win-win that we want to develop. We're just a small organization, under 20 people. We do many things, including Earth Overshoot Day, which is hard to fundraise for. But so that's kind of one way of trying to influence the public debate. Overall, like I say, we're still pretty miserable and kind of transforming the conversation. We're still stuck in this mindset or trap, which essentially stands for an inconvenient truth means the more you know, the worse you're off. Who wants to know more if you're worse off? You know, it's a, it's a trap, really. So. By looking at the perspective of overshoot, which we think is the second largest risk for humanity, it becomes actually easier to address because like all things come together and you start to see the self-interest to act because if you're in a world of overshoot and you're not able to be resource secured, really it's going to hurt you. So it's not just being nice to the rest of the world. I mean, that too, but primarily it also becomes really essential. If you're not ready for that world, it's going to be very difficult for you. So by bringing this story out, <clears throat> make it resonant people then also come to us, like companies approach us and say, let's work with each other. And it may not be that important how big they are because we are impressed by stories to a large extent. So it's very hard to work effectively with institutions who deeply believe that the information is inconvenient because they come up with excuses and you try to overcome the excuses and by the time you've overcome these excuses they have invented seven other excuses you know like the hydra try to chop off the head and seven more heads grow you know so i think that's really the big tragedy we find it's kind of and i think it, it actually would be so simple to, if we had a better narrative we're so in love with the narrative of pointing fingers that we don't see the obvious so it's like we're on a boat you know we see a big storm approach and we realize our boat is not too seaworthy. And then the first thing we do is we go to an international boat owners conference to kind of find out who needs to fix their boat first. Doesn't make that much sense to me, you know? Right. And kind of we complexify the story rather than saying, actually, I'm exposed. And so when you say, oh, the poor Maldives, we take ourselves out of the game. It's about these others, actually about each one of us in some ways. You know? I think it may sound extremely capitalist, but I think it's more about securing our asset base. Because if our assets are not fit for the future, we, assets are there to provide for us. And assets like our houses, our transport system, our energy system are there to provide for our needs. Losing in value means they're less able to provide for our needs. So in the broadest sense, the transformation is about securing that our asset base can be maintained and doesn't whittle away. So yes, it could be that like, if you look in the end, that there would be changes, but is it a sacrifice? So it's a sacrifice in the short run to kind of get a more benefit in the future in some ways. But I think the suffering and sacrifice mode, if that's what's at the forefront of people's understanding, it reduces the possibility for people joining the invitation. 
I think that's my sense. So I think the suffering and sacrifice, like it's so deeply ingrained in people's mind that they cannot hear the necessity as if it was a voluntary activity. I mean, resource demand has to go down, but how can we explain it as a benefit? And that's why I think resource security makes it a benefit. You'll be more secure. You'll be able to live well because otherwise you put yourself in danger. You know, you're bleeding. We're bleeding ourselves, being too dependent on resources that are not available. It's a wound. We're healing a wound. Big shifts are needed if you want to be able to operate in the future. So it is very serious. One part is habit, that people have a hard time shifting habits. What they think is normal. It's just habitual, really. I've lived through the fossil fuel age, and that was always there. Always there in my life. But in reality, from a historical perspective, it's just a little blip in my life. I think 85% of fossil fuel use happened in my life. Young people are extremely needed because the transformation that will come upon us is larger than that of the iPhone, you know, in some ways, but just for the entire economy. And then the innovation that is required is just infinite. So, so it's going to be challenging, but it's also going to be quite fascinating and be part of it. So yeah, it's going to be a ride. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.